This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shot flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Play the game tonight, the theme song of This Week in Tennis, the most controversial and copycatted tennis program anywhere. And I'll tell you what, it has been a fantastic week. I want to send that we had some winners of the book, Nadal, or Rafa, I should say. And uh, this week, I'm not going to give any books away. 
because, well, I just don't feel like it today. <laughs> actually, the publisher did not send me the Kindle file, so I can't actually give something away until it's in my hands, if that makes any sense to anyone. Anyhow, it's been a fantastic fortnight down at Indian Wells, and while last week we talked more, we didn't even talk about Indian Wells because we like to deal with issues that, well, the copycats are afraid to touch, and we talked about women in sports, and it was a good show, and this week we're once again joined by my friend from Scotland, from CraigDoylePhotography.com. Please welcome Mr. Craig Doyle to This Week in Tennis. Dude, what's happening? Hi, Phil. Um, yeah, it's been a busy week. We've had plenty of tennis on. I've had plenty of contract work on. And I'm really looking forward to getting into this show. Yeah, we. Uh, I did some things this week, too. Uh, Tennis-wise, I didn't do anything because it rained every day again this week. This has been horrendous. It's awful. But This Week in Tennis is now being well promoted by sportsencounter.com and that's a big tennis site and well they set up a brand new podcast page just for phil nason's media programs the phil nason show and this one i didn't see tennis.com's podcast on that page hmm wonder why anyway yeah i've taken shots at these guys you're right because quite frankly i can't stand copycatters but I guess imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right, Craig? Yeah, it certainly is. And perhaps the reason for them not having their podcast up is the uh, three guys over there, the creative department, as you will, have got their heads together and they're busy working on a new successful name for their podcast as we speak. Or they're waiting to see what we talk about so they can do it too, like other podcasts do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you're the one that points that out to me because I'm busy, as you know, but you see these things and you go, hey, man, didn't we just talk about that two days ago? Yeah, well, it is what it is. You know something? This is a great tournament. Indian Wells was always a great tournament. The courts were quick. The air is thin. It favored the big servers. And I saw this posting that you made because your is your website up yet or no? It's not fully functional. However, I do have access to my account again, and I have the template that I use almost fully back up. So hopefully within the next fortnight, we might be able to get a few uh, nice tennis blog posts back up. Um, going for a simpler design this time, something a, a little less flashy, um, just basically because if someone brings it down again, I can get it back up a lot quicker. Yeah, I want you to get that back up there, man, because I'm writing again now, and I need those images that I can steal from your site, because your pictures are better than most of them, so I like using your images better. And that's probably the best compliment I'm going to get. Uh, it might be the only one today, but uh, needless <laughs> to say, <laughs> no, really, folks, if you want to see some great pictures, and if you're in Scotland... And you want a real photographer who's professional, who's prompt, who does what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it, which is very rare in this world, then you need to contact CraigDoylePhotography.com. If you can't get his site, just go to PhilNasons.com, leave me a message, and I'll make sure you get in touch with him. There, I just paid you a second compliment. Yeah, that's two within the space of two minutes. It's, uh, things are looking up on the show. 
It's probably because I'm a little bit hungover, maybe. That's what it is. <laughs> but, but needless to say, your posting was very intriguing this morning. I had to read that one twice. But it just it's a simple one, like most of yours. Indian Wells. Straight to the point, I mean, when I say simple. Indian Wells. Welcome to Juan Martin Del Patro Courts. Ridiculously high bounce that sits up lovely for a giant. And a court speed so slow that you can take everything on the forehand side. I added a side part. Whatever happened to fast hardcore surfaces? These slow courts are killing the game by promoting a style of play that favors lateral movement along the baseline with the biggest gunslinger winning. Care to elaborate on that, my friend? Yeah, and this is a frustration of mine that's been building over several years. It's just the way all these courts play these days. It, they all play the same style. You know, years ago, you used to have big differences between clay, hardcore, and obviously grass. But these days, the court properties are slowly getting to the stage where they're so similar that that's why we have these same pool of guys and girls in the game dominating all the time. And, you know, it's unfortunate because if the court properties were different, as they used to be, you would have more guys at the top end of the game winning on different surfaces, and it would be a lot, lot more exciting to watch. Absolutely. I've been saying that for a long time. You know, um, one of the things that I encountered when I came to Europe and I asked the hotel resort to put in deco turf courts because that's the courts I'm most familiar with. And they obliged me because, well, I'm the pro and I get to choose. You know, that's kind of the deal. You know, when people say I'm the king around here, there's a reason for it, I guess, because I always get what I want or usually and probably why I still haven't left. But needless to say, I laid it out there and I told the guy who was putting the court in and I wanted them fast. And he told me, he goes, they'll never want to play on that. I said, I don't care. I wanted something where European kids could come over and train on courts that are hard courts. That's what I wanted because they don't have deco turf in Europe very often or it's not everywhere. And, and it was a great gimmick and it works. Needless to say, the hotel guests and resort guests and people who walk in and walk up to play, they didn't like it so much because one, it was too fast for them. And two, it was hard on their knees. And that's been a complaint of the European professionals for years. You know, they wanted a level playing field. Deco turf is probably the most level playing field. Now, I'm not sure if they have deco turf in Indian Wells. I think it's plexi pave, but I'm not quite sure. But needless to say, what they've done is they've convinced these tours and these uh, tournament directors to slow down the courts to level the playing field. But what has happened then is that it's taken away the serve and the uh, hard court all-court volleying skills of the American guys. And that's one of the reasons that you don't see the Americans doing so well anywhere anymore because of that issue. They either got to serve out of their minds or they're in for a long night. We don't teach kids in America to run around backhands as much. I guess they do now more than in my day. Me, I, I always try to teach them to hit from both sides. And to never give the opposition an edge, meaning don't slide so far over there that it becomes a track meet. 
because the guy who runs the most usually loses. But that's what's happened. You're absolutely correct. The ball bounces higher. It's slow. They can float around there and just whip the crap out of that forehand. It's incredible, but it, you're right. It's destroying the game. It's one of the reasons why I don't even want to watch anymore. Because it's just like watching robots play, in my opinion. And, and what do you think? Is it like that for you, too? Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I'm looking at some of the guys out there who play a particular style. And, you know, it just doesn't work for them on that surface. You you, you watch guys like uh, Thomas Burditch. He's going to be in the semifinals. He's one of the guys that likes to go out there and he wants to hit winners. But you can't do that on this court because it's so slow that the ball, when it bounces, it doesn't fly through the court like it should or like it used to on the hard court surface. It sort of sits there in the court. It slows down. It kicks up. It bounces high. And the guy on the other side of the net, if he's standing a few feet behind the baseline, he's returning it every single time. You know, So you're promoting this style of play that doesn't, it doesn't allow players to hit as many winners, which really gives an incentive to these guys who play a defensive game, just pitching the ball back into the court time after time until, you you know, the the fittest player wins or the guy who, you know, can hit the most consistent forehand wins. And it takes away a lot of excitement in the game because you've got guys out there who like to play a a gung-ho style. They want to play a a serve and volley or they want to play a, a quick rally, you know, three, four shots. You can't do that on this surface. You just uh, don't see the ball flying quick enough to promote that style of play. And unfortunately, and I'm going to probably be a little controversial here, but unfortunately for guys like Roger Federer, who, you know, he has everything as part of his game, but he's one of the the better attacking players. He's going to suffer on courts like this, Um, especially against guys like, you know, a Nadal or a Djokovic, you can just run him down. Uh, you can be controversial here. You're the one that labeled this show the most controversial show there is. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Yeah, you know you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I got the tagline. I said that was the best compliment anyone's ever paid, this program. But, uh, yeah, you know who would have flourished on these courts is Bjorn Borg. He was so fast side to side. He would have had a freaking day out there he this he probably looks at these courts and salivates where were these things 25 years ago 30 years ago when i was kicking ass and he would have destroyed everyone if the courts were played the way now back then the same way it just would have happened for him but yeah it's too bad i don't think they're going to change anything either craig i think they're pretty content the tournament directors with how things are going you know, they, they took a little compression out of the ball, made it slower, too. And, well, that's what you've got. Robots knocking the crap out of every ball. And the last guy standing is the fittest guy, usually. Or, like you said, the most consistent. And we like to see consistent, but we also like to see guys rip winners. Backhand down the line winners. You don't even see that anymore. All you see on these kind of courts is just run around it. And then, you know what? It's like watching clay court tennis on a hard court, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's no point in even practicing a backhand anymore with courts like these. There's no point in uh, really working on your serve. You can just kick it in there and let it go and just use it as a point starter, and it's just destroying the game of tennis. 
they need to go back to the uh, different courts and allow these guys to use their strengths and employ their strengths in a fair manner. I mean, this is nonsense, in my opinion. I'll tell you what else is nonsense, Craig, is uh, the other day, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer met for the 29th time as professionals. Rafael Nadal won in straight sets. And it, whether he who wins or not is really irrelevant to me because, quite frankly, when those that rivalry ends and it hasn't ended yet, there's no point in even watching tennis. That was the rivalry that actually saved men's tennis from itself. I mean, you had the great one before that of Agassi and Sampras. And if it wasn't for this rivalry between Federer and Nadal, you wouldn't have half the numbers that you see these people making, these people being tournament directors, and everyone in the sport of tennis has benefited because of these guys. But yet I saw on Facebook, people are talking crap. Federer's too old. He shouldn't do this. He shouldn't do that. This isn't a real rivalry any longer. That's a bunch of hogwash, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I think there was certainly reasons for the result the other night in the quarterfinal. I think, you know, a lot of these, uh, and I'm sure you're going to put the correct term for these people who use Facebook on this in a second, but a lot of these sort of Facebook, Twitter people who come out with these statements, you know, they're not well-informed. They're not looking at the statistics. They're not, you know, looking at even recent history because up until Thursday, Roger Federer had actually won um, two of the last three against Rafael Nadal. It certainly hadn't become a one-sided affair when they met. So, you know, I think there's still legs in this rivalry yet. The correct terms that we use for these Facebook people, we do this on my daily show every Thursday. Well, we eh, we try to call them Facebook fugazis. And the Twitter people, we call them twittiots because that's what they are. They're not real fans, man. They're just good time, Charlie, jump on the bandwagon, whatever. They don't, most of these guys that talk like that don't even play tennis. I mean, get out of here. They can be fans all they want. I don't care. They'll listen to the show only because they want to hear me say bad things. And that's fair enough. And we thank them for listening. But this is a real rivalry. Now, when you have this match, it's not, it's, they've played 29 times. Rafael Nadal actually holds a very big edge, 19 to 10 in matches. But here's the thing. These guys have met in eight Grand Slam finals. The closest to that in the men's game was uh, Agassi Sampras. They met five in five Grand Slam finals. Now, I believe Nadal is 6-2 and two against Federer in Grand Slam finals. But this is a real rivalry. A real rivalry. And it's incredible to me why anyone would talk down about that. If anything, when you see those two young fellas go out there on the court together... You might stick to it, stick to the TV and watch the entire match. Record it if you can, because it might be the last time you ever see that again. You don't really know. We don't know what Roger Federer is going to do. And to be quite honest, we have no idea what's going to happen with Rafael Nadal, do we? We don't, do we, Craig? No, we don't. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty over his career, his longevity in the game. And, you know, 
I think people should enjoy what's being served up to them at the moment because you just never know in a, you know, a sport like this what's going to happen in a couple of months' time. You know, one of these guys could get a big injury, that could be it. Um, and then, you know, when it disappears, you know, the same people who are shooting this rivalry down at the minute and saying it doesn't exist will be the first people to be on Twitter, to be on Facebook, complaining that this rivalry suddenly disappeared. And, you know, I'd just like to add what makes this such a special rivalry from my perspective is that it is one of the few relatively close matchups we've had over the last five or six years where we have two people, two opponents playing very different styles of tennis. You have Nadal's defensive running game with the very extreme left-handed action that he's got up against Federer's very much all-round brilliance. His excellent forehand is, you know, creativity that you just don't see in a lot of other players. You have the, uh, you know, the guy who's going to run around a lot on one side up against the guy who's going to make shots that you just wouldn't believe. And for me, you don't get that when you bring two other players together. There's no two other players on tour who have such different styles of play that can put on such great entertainment over three, four, five hours, whatever. That's exactly right. The contrast is what makes it intriguing. And that's being taken away again by these, the changing of these courts and all these other things. But it's like the Sampras-Agassi rivalry. You had Pete Sampras, who was a serve volleyer, against a baseline crusher. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, another amazing rivalry. Same for the same reasons. Chris, or I mean Martina Navratilova and Steffi Graf. For the same reasons. The contrasting styles is what keeps your backside in the seat and wondering what's going to happen next. Who's going to break down next? What we see now are just nothing but robots. And it's all about who's in shape better, who's had the lucky bounce. You know, you don't see that intensity. And more importantly, with these two young fellas, Roger Federer and uh, Rafael Nadal, these are also classy young men off the court. They're fantastic representatives of the professional sport of tennis. That's the best we've got out there is those two kids playing. Those are the best examples that you tell your kid, hey, be like him. And that's going to be gone soon. And I think that we're not appreciative enough of what those two young men have done for the sport. You know, but there's another brewing rivalry. And actually, it's a little bit closer. And that's the Novak Djokovic Rafael Nadal rivalry. Now, they've played 33 matches, and Rafael Nadal has a 19 to 14 edge. They've played in five Grand Slam finals, and Nadal has the edge there, three to two, I believe. But uh, that is, but that rivalry, I don't even care. If that's on TV, I'm probably not going to uh, move around the schedule of my day to suit that match, would you? Uh, you know, I take interest in most matches, but uh, certainly if it's a, a Grand Slam final or a, a Masters final, but um, you know, I'm not one for getting up at three in the morning to to check out that particular matchup, just because from what I've seen over, you know, there was a, a year I think it may be in 2011 where they played six consecutive finals or something like that, and 
the the styles that they play are very similar. It's you know a lot of running around the baseline, a lot of sort of big hitting forehands. It's not got the same sort of uh, because both guys have got such great core coverage. It doesn't have the same sort of creativity to it that a Federer match has. There's less sort of drop shots being played. There's less slice. It's more just who can hit the ball hardest, back and forth, back and forth, trying to break the other guy down, trying to run him into the ground. Each sort of point gets drawn out to 20, 30 uh, strokes per rally. And, you know, it's wash, rinse, repeat all the way through the match to the point that, you know, one, whoever, whichever guy's finished on the day is the one that's left standing. There's not enough sort of variation in the points. There's no short points. There's no sort of... Big Sar followed by winner sort of points. It's very much uh, a grind uh, for both players, and it's also for the audience. It's a little bit of a grind to watch it. It is for me. I can't watch that. I can watch it for a few minutes, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch it, but Lord in heavens, good Lord in heavens, I should say. Ridiculous to me to watch this, and it's all because there's no real contrast in their styles. It's like, whatever. You know, there's no intrigue, no excitement, really. You just watch ball after ball. If I see 30 balls going on a hard court, a 30-stroke rally, uh, that's just, ugh, ugh. My coach would be turning in his grave if he saw that. Unbelievable. But anyway, this rivalry special, I hope it continues. We don't know how much longer. But let's stop poo-pooing the greats. It's so just disgusting when these people rip the greats. You know, we ripped Djokovic a lot, but I don't consider him a great yet. And after he won the last Grand Slam he won, it kind of shut me up. And that's the way it should be. You know, But uh, this rivalry special, I still think it saved tennis. And I think when that rivalry ends, when Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal pack their bags and that possibility of a match isn't there any longer, the sport of tennis is going to be in a little bit of trouble. Because I don't see anything remotely close to that coming up. You know what, Craig? What we're going to do is we're going to take a little break. And when we return, we're going to take a look at the men's and the women's draws. Talk about a couple of surprises. Give you our predictions. That's right, gamblers. I didn't forget you this week. And we'll be right back. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on Max Sports Channels. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like The Phil Nason Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nason Show. Been dreaming of that Greek vacation? Well, if you have, then you might want to check out the folks 
at the Oridi Grand Hotel, located in beautiful Corfu, Greece. Come experience world-class cuisine, as well as the hospitality that Greece is legendary for at the Oridi Grand Hotel. You can find them at aridihotel.com or email them at reservations at aridihotel.com. For you, the listeners of This Week in Tennis, audible.com is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I personally like to recommend Tim Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And you can get this book or any other of over 100,000 titles, all for free, simply by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, please go to audibletrial.com slash flash tennis. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash flash tennis and get your free audiobook today. The Phil Mason Show is a daily one-hour program featuring hard-hitting commentary on a variety of topics. From the world of sports, entertainment, and pop culture, The Phil Mason Show covers it all. For music, entertainment, and more, please check us out at philmasons.com. Hi, this is Phil Masons, the host of The Phil Mason Show. You can listen to us each and every day, Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Superstation Talk. That's right. We are here each and every day. I'm proud to be here at 10 p.m. Eastern on TalkSuperstation.com. And while you're over, check out the other great shows that Diamond Joe presents each and every day. That's Monday through Friday, The Phil Mason Show, 10 p.m. Eastern on TalkSuperstation.com. Welcome back to This Week in Tennis, the most controversial tennis show everywhere and the most copycatted, apparently. Anyway, we've separated ourselves from the pack here, and that's a beautiful thing. India Wells, Craig. And by the way, Craig Doyle can be found at CraigDoylePhotography.com. And I insist you do. If you need pictures taken, like I said before, you want someone prompt, professional, courteous, and does what he says he's going to do when he says he'll do it. Craig Doyle's your guy. Oh, that was three times, Craig. <laughs> yeah, it's getting a bit much now. Maybe we'll have to create one of those auto adverts you do. Uh, you know, you could just run it in between the uh, segments of the show for next week. <laughs> Save my breath, eh? <laughs> anyway, what do you want to look at first, the women or the guys? Let's uh, let's start with the women for a change. Yeah, for a change. We dedicated an entire show to them last week. And, dude, I got to tell you, the ladies liked it. They thought we were very kind and very fair. That was nice. I thought, we're always fair on this show. Always. <laughs> or, yeah, always. <laughs> always. All right, here, let's get the uh, elephant out of the room. Victoria Azarenka pulled out 
in her quarter of her quarterfinal match with Caroline Owozniacki, followed by this is this is what's really strange. Is Sam Stoser also withdrew from her quarterfinal match with Angeliki Kerber, which left a big hole in the Indian Wells program, didn't it? It did, and I can imagine the uh, powers that be that are scheduling these matches, putting on something for the crowd, were very, very unhappy when they found out uh, about that because that was, you know, two quarterfinal matches. I believe they'd be scheduled for the same day, and to lose two matches at that stage of the tournament between what you and I would consider household names, you know, you've got the top women's player and you've got Stozer, a top 10 player. That's, you know, a huge disappointment for the organizers because the crowd are looking forward to those matches. Yeah, they are. You know, you got four of the top women tennis players in the world, four in the top 10. You had Azarenka. She was the number one seed only because Serena Williams withdrew or never will play there again for the same kind of situation because one of them withdrew. I wonder if anyone called Victoria Azarenka or Sam Stoser a nigger. I'm curious. That's the silly nature of the sport, the good time Charlie fans. But yeah, it left a big hole. And the thing is, is on Wednesday night, they had such a massive day where it lasted until 1.55 in the morning. That's a big day. And then to follow that up, and I'm sure the organizers were going, wow, we got something here. We just had this fantastic day of tennis. And then the next day, we've got four top 10 women's tennis players battling it out back-to-back on center court. ESPN coverage, tennis channel coverage, everywhere in the world coverage, Eurosport coverage, you name it, and an egg was dropped. And that doesn't make sense. Now, I'm not saying that these young ladies weren't injured or they shouldn't have withdrawn, but it was a bad, dark day for the women's tour when this happened, wasn't it? It was, and, uh, you know, you never know in tennis with the nature of injuries. Um, You know, there's some people carrying injuries all the time, and, you know, sometimes they get out there and they they just know that they're not going to be able to perform or whatever, but... uh, you don't like to think it, but this is the second time this year that Azarenka's bailed out at the stage of a tournament where she's, you know, she's won a few matches and then she's got a big match coming up, big televised match on the sort of center court. The spotlight's going to be on her, the TV is ready, and then she's pulled out. And uh, you know, you can quickly get yourself a reputation in this sport if you start pulling out of tournaments at this sort of stage when. The onus is on you, basically, to go out there and entertain people for a few hours. Now, I don't want to see Victoria Azarenka putting herself out there if she's injured or whatever. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I could completely understand any fan who's bought a ticket who would go back and say, you know, I want my money back because I've come here to watch Victoria Azarenka play Caroline Wozniacki and Sam Stozer take on Angeliki Kerber and, you know, I've paid good money for this ticket and you're not offering this entertainment. So I think some of these girls are going to have to be careful in future about what stage they pull out of these tournaments at. Um, you know, the quarterfinal stage, it leaves a big gap in the schedule. And unfortunately, it's, it doesn't look very good for the women's tour in particular. Well, I think Stozer, I, I saw the highlight in that with her match with Bartel. 
And uh, she did kind of snap her calf pretty good there. And the way Stoser plays, she really has to run. But, uh, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's just a black eye for the women's sport. You know, and Red Fu didn't get his publicity either. Oh, no, he's had it uh, already this week. I saw some of the uh, highlight package videos. You know how they do a lot of the around the ground sort of videos on the Internet, on the, the official website. And he's been hanging out with the guys tour. He's been playing a little bit of soccer uh, on the grass uh, around the back of the courts. You know, all the guys like to go out and kick the ball around. And Yeah, he's been involved there. He's, he's pretty difficult to miss on around with the uh, massive mop of red hair. So he's, uh, I think he's probably had plenty of publicity this week. Yeah, and then now he claims he's going to play in the U.S. Open. Oh, really? Is he uh, going to do some sort of charity match on the, the Saturday before it opens or something? I think he wants to play in the main draw. That's, you know, if he's got the skills, why doesn't he uh, sign up with the USTA and uh, go through qualifying like everyone else? Yeah, you never know. He could get a wild card. Wouldn't that be interesting? I've seen Stranger Things. There was this model on Facebook. This is hilarious, by the way. This is a funny story. This is probably why the women's tour is in trouble. This girl claimed to be a tennis player, and she was beautiful, obviously. And she was getting wild cards to play in $50,000 tournaments in Spain. And she would turn up, practice. And there's no muscle tone at all in this girl's body. You can see her. And pull out at the last minute. (laughs) Crazy stuff, huh? But anyway... You have Caroline Wozniacki, then she just took out Angeliki Kerber in the third set, 7-5. And Wozniacki played halfway decent this week, hasn't she? She has, but before anyone gets really carried away and starts calling out for Wozniacki to win Grand Slams or to return to number one, let's go back to what we talked about in the very first segment of this show about the courts, because... These courts, in my opinion, are exactly the type of court that Caroline Wozniacki thrives upon. The, these girls don't hit the ball anywhere near as hard as the guys. So what you've got is these slow courts, the slow high bounce coming through the court. It gives a girl like Wozniacki, whose game's based on playing forehands and backhands from the baseline, all the time in the world she needs to run that baseline, run the ball down, and just to turn the ball into the court. Now, up against a player like Angeliki Kerber, it's kind of levels of the playing field a little bit because Kerber's one of those girls who, she's very strong. She's not the type of girl who's going to run back and forward, back and forward until she drops. She wants to play tennis. She wants to try and build a point in as few few strokes as possible and then hit a winner but these courts don't let her do that then just don't favor that style of play and unfortunately for Kerber the courts did favor Wozniacki's style of play so you know we've seen it all week Caroline she ran down Nadia Petrova and she ran down I think it was Viznina Eller in the tournament and, you know, it, it's it's how she's going to get through these matches. She's just going to run back and forth and keep the ball in play until her opponent, you know, tries to overhit a winner, tries to, to play a shot that's just too difficult to, to make, and she'll win a lot of free points. That's exactly right. Indian Wells has become a pusher's paradise. 
That's what I'm going to title this show, Indian Wells, A Pusher's Paradise. I like the title. I'm in a, yes. very, I'm in a very good mood today. <laughs> it's witty. I, I try to be. You know, that's why they copycat me. You see, we come up with original ideas here at This Week in Tennis. The other side of the draw, though, Craig, um, big surprise. Maria Kirilenko has had a very good year this year. I wouldn't hardly call her a pusher. And she knocked out Petra Kitova in the quarters. And Maria Sharapova knocked out Sarah Irani. Just straight set at her. Six and two. Just hammered her. And then, of course, Sharapova comes through and wins this tennis match against Kirilenko. I believe, what was the score of that? That score was four and three. So now you have a Maria Sharapova, Caroline Wozniacki tournament final and it is by the way held on plexi paved courts you see we do know our tennis courts and our tennis at this week in tennis we're not some fat ass reporter sitting back going whoa what should i do now anyway who do you got here sharapova or wozniacki you're trying not to laugh aren't you I am because I'm going straight to Sharapova. Um, <laughs> you know, Sharapova's had a good season as well. She started off well at Dallas Australian Open, and it was probably just too easy for her in the first week. You know, she was beating people one and one, zero and zero, ridiculous scores like that. And I think she maybe just got caught out at the wrong time when the level jumped from absolutely pummeling these girls to having to play tennis against an opponent who could match her a little bit. Um, but here, you know, I think she's had a little bit of a challenge. She had a decent game against um, Irani, who I think defied all odds and is playing well, despite the fact that both of us tipped her to slip down the rankings a little bit this season. And, you know, I, I just don't see Wozniacki being able to keep pushing the ball back against Sharapova time after time for what I think would have to be three sets if Wozniacki was going to win. Um, I, can, I can only see Sharapova makes too many good shots and, you know, she, she moves too well. And I think, uh, you know, she would just have far too much for Wozniacki in the end and I could see it being straight sets. Yeah, you know what? One thing the factor could be it also gets windy down there sometimes. If it's windy, this is going to be a... Pusher's paradise dream come true for Caroline Wozniacki because Sharapova won't be able to rely on that serve like she does. But yeah, Sharapova has had a really good year. My hat's off to her. I would say if it were me, I would take Sharapova in straight sets and don't even look back. That's what I would do. That's my pick. We're in agreement on this one. Yeah, it makes a change, doesn't it? It's because of all those compliments I gave you. Ah. I'm developing a crush. <laughs> anyway, the men's tour. We've got about 12 minutes to go here. Yeah, 12 minutes or so. Any surprises to you about this? And basically, we have two semifinals today. We have Novak Djokovic taking on Juan Martin Del Potro in one semi. And the other semi, we have Tomas Burdich taking on Rafael Nadal. What surprises have you seen this week? The biggest surprise for me was watching David Ferrer crash in the first round to Kevin Anderson. I really thought the courts here would have favored Ferrer's 
lateral movement, running back and forth along the baseline, just retrieving the ball. But Kevin Anderson had a real good week. He played some great tennis. And uh, unfortunately for David Ferrer, he was the first victim um, of Anderson's successful week. Yeah, that was a nice week and a nice run for that young fella. That's a good thing for him, by the way. I was kind of surprised that Robredo got knocked out in the first round, too, simply because, well, he was given a wild card. But this kind of court favors him, too. The other surprise that I thought, well, I guess it's not a surprise, really, but it to me it was because I wanted to see this one-versus-three battle of Djokovic-Murray, but Juan Martin Del Potro screwed that all up by winning in three sets, Three and one in the second and third sets. Saga was another surprise for me, Craig. I didn't think Saga would get to the quarters over here. I, I would have thought, honestly, that Milos Rayanich would have taken him out. This seemed to be the type of court that Rayanich would have done a little better than Saga. Saga likes to mix things up a bit more. Do those matches surprise you? Yeah, uh, certainly the Rionic Songa match. I caught the highlights of that, and uh, Rionic blew up. He had the match won. Songa was beaten. All Rionic had to do was stroll over the line, but he couldn't. He uh, blew up at the critical point in the first, in the second set. Sorry, handed Songa the initiative, and I think Milos has learned a huge lesson there because he now knows that against a top guy like Songa, I mean Songa is not even like a top top guy, but you know a top ten player. You can't waste chances and show them there's a way back into the match. Certainly not when it's at the point where the match is won, because these guys smell blood. They'll take the match straight back off you, and uh, you'll see what happens to Raonic then. You know, he, he lost the third set, and he was gone. And then Saga got the crap kicked out of him, 3-1. and one. You know, Saga's not the brightest guy out there. <laughs> I bet Raonic is just kicking himself in the backside over that one, because he had him. He honestly had that young fella. I thought for sure he would have taken him out, but he didn't. Song had advanced. But uh, Andy Murray didn't even show up in the second and third sets against Del Potro. And that surprised me because I figured he would be fit enough to take out Del Potro, but he wasn't. And he went back to the old spray the ball around the court business of his. And, well, <laughs> you don't do that with a guy who gets to set up, who, or I should say who has all day to set up and blast away. You can't do that. And Murray got just spanked, didn't he? He did. And it's quite strange because uh, Murray was playing pretty good tennis in the first set. He won on the tie break, didn't get a break. But he went into that second set and his service went early on and he went to break behind. And then it almost seemed like he switched from... Just keeping the ball in the court, which was the tactic that was kind of working to start with, uh, to trying to do what we said earlier on in the show doesn't work, and that's trying to hit winners. And he, the more and more he tried to hit a winner, and the more and more he didn't manage to find that winner, he would, you know, get into this mindset of I need to find a winner, I need to shorten the point, and it didn't work because the courts just don't allow you to find those winners. They don't allow you to hit that backhand down the line that he loves to hit. And Del Pozzo just did what he does, and he stands six feet behind the baseline, running back and forward, playing forehand after forehand, um, pushing Murray back into the court. And, you know, Murray eventually just got frustrated. He tried to 
force winners that he just wasn't going to get from the back of the court. And, uh, you know, Del Pozzo just remained calm and he, he ended up breaking Murray several times in the, in the next two sets to uh, to go through. So I think Murray's maybe learned a little bit of a lesson there. And uh, he was here without his uh, mentor, Ivan Lendl, this week. So, you know, Ivan will be getting the tape out and pointing out to Murray where he got that one wrong. But uh, credit to Del Pozzo. He played some great tennis. Unfortunately, though, because you're going to ask me this next, will he beat Novak Djokovic? And the answer is no. Well, I wasn't going to ask you that. I was going to skip down to the uh, bottom half of the draw because that match I don't care about. Well, actually, I do. Let's get on with it. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is going to be one of those, this has been one of those shows. You know, we have to kind of scatter things around so the copycats are confused. It's like scrambling. You know what I mean? I, I tell you what, Del Potro got he has all day to set up. Djokovic, he's going to be running like a little rabbit back there too. It ought to be an interesting match. I think Del Potro has the goods to take out Djokovic, and I actually I hope he does because I don't really like to see Djokovic win. You know that. I really don't. I think he's bad for the game. I think he's great for the game in, in the fact that people do seem to be interested in him, but just some of the crazy crap he does. I'd rather see Red Fu out there. I expect Red Fu to act like a fool. I don't expect my number one player in the world to act like the Incredible Hulk after he wins a tennis match. You know, but uh, I'm going with Del Potro in this one. And you're going with Djokovic, right? Yeah, I'm going with Djokovic. I think, uh, you know, he'll probably find a way to stop Del Potro camping out on that uh, baseline. And that'll be the end of that. You know, you bring him into the net and you'll hit a few passing shots and it'll be game over. Okay, that's a good call. We'll see who wins. Anyway, the other side of the draw. I'll tell you what the big story of this entire week was Ernest Gulbis from Latvia. That young feller got to the uh, round of 16. He had a nice tournament. Don't you think? Yeah, and I'll tell you what. He gave Rafael Nadal one great match. Uh, three sets, 7-5 in the third set, Nadal came through. But I really like Ernest Gulbis. Um, I've, I've actually been quite a fan for a few years. And I think I'm probably about as frustrated as uh, Ernest himself is when he turns up to a tournament and he loses in an early round to you know someone ranked outside the top 50 because this guy's got lots of talent, but he just seems to come out and you could either get the uh, beauty or the beast with this guy. He either plays some wonderful tennis or he plays some you know awful tennis. And this week, it's been one of those weeks where he's gone through Feliciano Lopez, Janko Tipsarovic, and Andres Seppi. All guys who, you know, Lopez is a bit experienced, but, uh, you know, Tipsarovic top 10, Seppi top 20. Then he went three sets with Nadal, who's, you know, multiple Grand Slam champion. It's, you know, the talent's there. He's just got to tap into that talent, that ability more often, and he'll sail up the rankings if he really wants to. Well, we'll see, you know, but it was on and popping against Nadal that first set, man. I said, oh, boy, here we go. He was like my new Jersey Janowitz. You know, I have I been looking for these names that I can use. It's a, They're a broadcaster's dream. But now you've got, and we talked about the Nadal-Federer match earlier in the program. Now you have a Tomas Burdich, and he knocked off Kevin Anderson, who was another big story. So now what we have is Burdich-Nadal. Who do you like in this one, Craig? 
You know, I really like Thomas Berdych, and I keep referring back to this earlier segment in the show about the courts, and I'm one of these guys who feels that Thomas would have a Grand Slam by now if we were playing on these, or, you know, maybe more Masters at the very least, if we were playing on faster courts because he hits the ball so beautifully flat that it, you know, speeds through the, the court. He can hit it flat on the clay, and the ball goes through that clay court unlike anything you've ever seen of it, anybody else. It's the huge forehand he has is brilliant, but uh, he's limited by the fact that he doesn't move particularly well compared to the likes of the top four, top five guys above him. And on these courts against Nadal, who's going to be running back and forward, and you know I don't really care about his knees. His knees are obviously okay at the minute because he's reached a semi-final here. Nadal's just going to run him down time after time after time. And the minute Thomas Burdish makes a mistake, it'll be, you know, break point, break point converted, and Nadal will take the lead. And I just can't see anything other than Nadal eventually running Thomas down. Uh, just waiting for the mistakes, waiting for the chances, and putting him away. Yeah, I think Nadal's going to play chicken with him, and that's what's going to happen. Thomas Burdish is going to blink like he always does. And Rafael Nadal will be taking on... I think Juan Martin Adel Patro. You believe it will be Novak Djokovic. Who do you have winning the men's tournament down in Indian Wells? The BNP Barabas Open. It's funny you mentioned BNP Barabas, actually. We've got an interesting story about that for another time. but uh... Yeah, because we only have a minute and a half. <laughs> I'm going to go for Djokovic. I'm going to take Juan Martin Del Patro. His first ever Masters 1000 victory. You got to start somewhere. Indian Wells is the best place because, like we say, it's Indian Wells is a pusher's paradise. Nice. Craig, thank you so much for being a part of the program this week. Have it's a beautiful an honor, week. as always. Have a beautiful week. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's This Week in Tennis. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons, and we want to thank you both for taking the time or thank you all for taking it both, the, the, both of you listeners out there. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen each and every week. The numbers are incredible. I, I'm just, it blows my mind how many of you actually take the time out of your very busy schedule to listen to the most controversial and most copycatted podcast radio show anywhere. Until next week, you all take care of yourselves. And most importantly, enjoy the tennis.